Hold the Line with Mike Solon is brought to you by the Seattle Police Officers Guild, Seattle's public safety voice. Can you imagine your employer ordering you with the threat of termination to provide your personal text messages, photographs between you and your loved ones, your financial private documents for some type of internal employee investigation? The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. This is where we hold them. This is where we fight. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish. Not a fight. Hold the line. Welcome back to Hold the Line with Mike Solon. Insurrection, January 6th, 2021. The OPA case file is in. The moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. We're here to break it down, but first I need to acknowledge that this day was really sad for our nation. You had a political rally with former President Donald Trump attended by thousands of people, called it Stop the Steal, and then people unfortunately stormed the Capitol, breached the outer perimeter, assaulted police officers, and eventually made its way, the mob did, inside the Capitol, and we all saw that unfold. And of course, you know, it must be said that it's not just the far right that was involved in this. There were aspects of the far left, albeit some smaller numbers, obviously. But I obviously, if you can remember, got into hot water when it came to um, blaming other people outside of the far right being responsible as the mainstream media was telling us that's who was at fault. But FBI has proven through their, through their investigations that indeed there were aspects of the far left of people there that were charged. So one in particular, which I tweeted about, that's still up. You can check it out at realmikesolon.com. When we deal with facts and truth, never apologize and never back down. Don't answer to cancel culture. A little bit of advice. I survived that. I survived that week. Thanks to the media and activist groups that were calling for my resignation, as well as politicians. So I digress. I had to say that, though. I digress, and we've covered that, I believe, in episode five of the podcast. So go check it out if you need to. Maybe we can throw a link in the description. That was a bit of a hit job against me. But again, I digress. So yes, that incident was definitely a a horrific event in our history. Never ever should anybody resort to violence to put forth some type of political message or action. People got hurt, people got killed, and it's never ever okay for that to happen. So a lot of the media focus has been on police officers that took part in the insurrection, as they call it. Um, And that's a problem. And in particular, they go to the point where six Seattle Police Department employees, the highest of any police department in the nation of people that attended the rally slash insurrection, uh, attended. And so obviously that falls in our camp, SPOG, because that's our members that we have to eventually 
um, advocate for to assist them through the accountability process through the Office of Police Accountability, and that's where we are. So I mentioned the OPA closed case summary is in. We received some portion of the file uh, a couple days ago, and we're trying to go through the case. But I can tell you off the bat, and we'll get into it in bigger detail, but that case file has some glaring holes in it, meaning things that aren't in there that would normally be in a case file from OPA. And I'm kind of curious as to why that is. This case in particular seems to have, um, what would you call it? A hyper-focus of interesting twists and turns that never seen before. And we'll break them down in just a few minutes here. So to start, this case obviously has had the attention of everybody in the city and I think nationally too, right? I mean, this insurrection thing is an issue. And in particular, if you have police officers that attend a rally and then, hey, did they take part in the unfortunate violent acts at the Capitol building? Well, the OPA investigation was launched and OPA has six six months to complete their investigation and here we are today where the case file um, in terms of the summary's concern was released to the public and it shows what OPA um, recommends for the chief to opine on as far as any types of uh, allegations of policy violations They'll take a position on which they have. They recommend two officers out of six um, are recommended per OPA Director Meyerberg for uh, termination. And obviously the chief then weighs it and then makes the final determination, but more of that in just a few minutes. So like I said, this case has been interesting to say the least from the jump, and there has been so much fervor around it from the activist mob on Twitter um, and some of the politicians, mind you, um, that we've seen a significant amount of leaks. And as you know, a lot of the officers, police officers that police this great city um, since George Floyd riots have been personally doxxed, meaning their information is available via the Twitter mob who do all these research, um, people in the basement doing what they do down in the basement dwellings of doing these research day in and day out of where officers live, uh, looking through their voting records, this and that, what have you, marriage records, tax information via county records, so be it. Um, so it's a def- definite concern when it comes to media and then the activist Twitter mob trying to figure out who these officers are. And our position with SPOG is to come in to try to make sure that, number one, the officers' identities are protected that the city follows the, follows the collective bargaining agreement and that their names are kept uh, confidential until the chief of police makes his final findings. And if any of those findings become sustained, well, then per the contract, those names can be released. But anything outside of not sustained, you can't release their names for obvious reasons because we're worried about the safety and security of the officers, their well-being, and their family's well-being. Can You can just imagine. Case in point for me. Not making this a point me, but I had about 75 of the mob show up on my private home. Not cool. Not okay in the United States of America. If you want to have a discussion, let's have a reasonable discussion at a reasonable venue at a reasonable time 
with reasonable people. Anybody that shows up to a private home for political action are not reasonable. There, that's said. So, we've hired to protect the identities of the officers with all this attention. Um, we hired a, an attorney to fight the public disclosure request battle when the city was more than willing to release their names. And we fought hard and spent money to block those attempts. And we were indeed successful to a degree. They still haven't released those names because that case is currently in the Washington State Court of Appeals. So I think we're winning on that end. But as you can imagine, the activist class and moles from the inside, from inside the city, maybe from the department, I don't know, there indeed was a leak of their names. And of course, some members of the media thought it was okay to publicly name those individuals. We'll break it down right now with this video. This comes from Como. This was, let me see here, when did this come out? Basically in and around the beginning of May, this video, this is a clip from Como's interview with Chief Diaz. The six officers who were um, in D.C. during the January 6th rally there, insurrection there. The, yesterday, I'm sure you saw reports online of, of the names of these six officers. I'm just going to read them off. I'm going to mispronounce some of these. Probably. Can you confirm the names of those six officers? I, I can't confirm that is, you know, currently under investigation. Um, but, you know, I've, you know, very been very clear uh, with my uh, perception or idea is that if they were involved in any level of insurrection, they'll be terminated. And, uh, and you know, I think, you know, we want to make sure that we do a thorough investigation. And that's the reason why the, the Office of Profe- uh, Police Accountability is, is taking their time making sure that everything is done correctly. Cool. Um, just so you know, I'm not going to air those names. That, um, so... So that clip basically says that, hey, they're not going to name those names. And if you're not going to name those names, then why do you ask the question? Curious as to why that occurred. So there's a reason why we need to protect the identities of the officers. We, we understand accountability. We take part in it every day. I work with the accountability partners that I refer to them as, um, on almost a daily basis in the business week. And um, obviously concerned, as I mentioned earlier, about the personal identities and the physical protections of the officers off-duty when they're in their private lives. And that must be protected. And we must, as a functioning, lawful society, um, adhere to the public disclosure laws as it pertains to officers' identities And then obviously collective bargaining agreements, contracts that um, specifically revolve around identifying officers. And we fully support that if an officer um, has a sustained complaint, well then yeah, for a matter of public trust, community engagement, and the buy-in for this police department to be accountable, uh, as we serve the citizens, well yeah, we fully support the naming of an officer because we're government 
entities. We work for you. The problem lies in, though, when something is not sustained, meaning they cannot prove that the allegation indeed was accurate, that it happened, then absolutely not that those officers should not be named due to a lot of the physical security risks from what I call the activist mob that are looking to do harm against the police officers, whether it's online or uh, more, more, not as often, but in their private lives. I mean, we've seen it with officers who've been involved in shootings. We've seen how the activist class goes after police officers and whatever business dealings they have outside of their role, whether it's their spouse that has a business. They, we saw it in the Chaz Chop where, and individuals whose wife who owned a house in the Chaz Chop area of the Capitol Hill, they targeted that business. And so um, it's an issue. So we're going to protect that all the time. It's a matter of security, hands down. It's not us skirting accountability. It's us protecting our members. And it's the right thing to do. Doxing of individuals for political gain and to hurt them. Um, it's not okay. Don't do it. So our PDA fight, it's in the Washington State Court of Appeals, but I'm told that the city is still figuring it out whether or not they're going to name the officers, meaning all of the officers in the January 6th insurrection investigation. Mind you, OPA is determined that the six officers involved, four of them are not sustained, which means those allegations of policy violations can't be substantiated and therefore they're cleared. The other two, OPA is recommending termination. So we still must protect and spend as much money as needed to protect their identities. And as I mentioned earlier, that process is still in the Court of Appeals. So the city, although they're trying to figure out if they're going to name all these officers for the sake of accountability... Um, they can't do it or else they're violating a court order. So that's where we're at. When you have a city that is debating whether or not they want to violate a court order for this investigation, which I remarked has been unprecedented, that there's been some interesting things that happened with this case alone. Well, this is one of those aspects of how interesting this case is. How can you even debate whether or not you're going to violate a court order of releasing the names. Who are you then trying to appease? Do you Are you trying to appease the community trust? Or are you more interested in not really adhering to basic civil rights and court law, court rulings, and the safety and well-being of your employee? When four of them, per the case file, have done nothing wrong. Very interesting, isn't it? So today I've had, you know, yesterday and I've had multiple media requests. And today at uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, OPA's closed case summary was going to go public. So some of the media got a close look at it yesterday, an early release. They call it an embargoed release, which means... They are bound by the agreement between the city and the media to not release the information until it's officially released at 2 o'clock today. So I definitely had some people reach out yesterday wanting, wanting me to comment, but I have to respect that too. 
I can't go rogue and go ahead of uh, OPA or the city and try to get a message out there because number one, I still have a working relationship I need to uh, continue to have with our accountability partners. And I also have to have a working relationship with the city, chief of police, and I have to make sure that there's a modicum of respect when it comes to the process. And that's what Spog's role is here too. It's to make sure that the process is protected at all costs. And sometimes when we are so stringent on protecting the process, which means due process, making sure that the contract is respected and adhered to, sometimes that puts us in a bad spot, not only just internally, but optically in the public sphere in terms of media and activist class who look to throw shade at us every time they can. That's a bit of background. So let me play this piece from Como. And I did this cut today with Matt Markovich, who I respect. Good dude. Good reporter. And uh, we'll comment after. Como piece. Como's Matt Markovich joins us live with the very latest tonight. Matt? Yeah, Eric, a photo that unfortunately the Office of Police Accountability cannot release to the public at this time, and they're not releasing officially the names of the officers involved. OPK, OPA can only make disciplinary recommendations. It's up, to chief, it's up to the chief to fire anybody. Six Seattle police officers admitted to attending the January 6th Stop the Steal rally. They had every right to exercise their freedom of speech, says the Office of Police Accountability. But the storming of the Capitol, where people battled with Capitol Police to keep them away, that's different. Did you have any evidence that any of the officers, the six officers, entered the Capitol? We have no evidence right now that suggests that. Of the six officers, two were initially suspended by the chief for not reporting their presence to their supervisors. Four others self-reported later. OPA concluded evidence those four were involved was inconclusive and no discipline is recommended. But as for the first two... That the discipline should be termination. Because a photograph provided by the FBI to OPA that I've seen that I can't share with you shows the pair standing right next to the Capitol as the siege is taking place. And didn't do anything about it. But if you're a law enforcement officer and you're right next to the wall of the Capitol and you see people scaling the walls and climbing the scaffolding, you either knew or you should have known that you were in a restricted area and that you were trespassing. Capitol Police told OPA there was fencing surrounding the Capitol and anyone inside that fencing was trespassing a misdemeanor crime. And officers told OPA investigators they didn't see anything unlawful going on and they were just observers. I don't think any reasonable person would see people scaling the walls of a federal building, particularly the U.S. Capitol, and believe that that was appropriate. It has glaring holes. Says the police union president. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, nor the United, or excuse me, the uh, D.C. Capitol Police have charged these officers with any crime. Now, a disciplinary board made up of staff officers, including the OPA, has already concurred with OPA's decision to fire those two officers. It now goes to a due process pro a hearing with the chief, and the chief is expected to make a final decision on the fate of those officers in the next 30 days. Reporting live in Seattle, Matt Markovich, Como News. So, Matt's piece, Matt Markovich, good reporter, I like him, but Matty, come on, can you give me a little bit more than just five seconds? I mean, I barely made it in there, and we talked for at least 15 minutes. So that's what, you know, that's what occurs when you do these hits, when you do these Zoom calls, you know, and then when they edit and they put the piece together, it's like you get spliced and they insert whatever comment they like. 
to fit whatever message they're trying to push. And, you know, there we are. So what I did tell Matt that which wasn't in the piece is that, number one, we as a union can't comment on this active investigation because a number of issues. The OPA case file that we received from OPA, and I said, has glaring holes. It absolutely has glaring holes. Again, as I mentioned earlier, this case is like no other that I've seen before. It's unprecedented. It has interesting twists and turns. And why is that? Well, typically when OPA sends us a case file for like other matters, such as other investigations, we get that case file. And more often than not, that file is full of the data we need to be able to properly prep the named employee for our process hearing, due process, their Laudermill hearing, uh, in front of the chief of police so we can have our say in the investigation. And more often than not, that case file is somewhat robust in terms of the data that we need to be able to argue and take a position. But this one in particular has glaring holes. Like, I think we had a page and a half of an email we sent uh, Director Meyerberg from OPA about what's missing in the case file. And I don't know why. That's why this case is interesting, why that information doesn't exist. So then, number one, that's a concern. So if, you, if you're expecting some type of objective investigation and you want the process to work in terms of your accountability partners and then the union, we have to have all that information so our people that are named can have some form of uh, information where they can get wrapped around the whole investigation. So that's a problem. Hopefully it gets remedied. I have no doubt it will. Director Meyerberg's a reasonable fella, and um, we have a decent working relationship, and I appreciate it. But this case in particular, this has some glaring issues. So that's number one, our problem, right off the bat. And then two, I can't really take a comment on it. Like, I did talk with Matt for several minutes about this photo that he remarks in his piece. This photo, indeed, from my understanding, came into the investigation late in the investigation. That's the information I have. Now, what we don't have in the case file is an explanation of that photo in terms of the timestamp when it comes to what that photo captures in and around the time that they're claiming took place in the insurrection time frame. So we all know that the insurrection, the violent actions by the mob, when they stormed the Capitol building, it was hours long. So we need to figure out what timestamp does it match up with what the transcripts of what the officers told OPA, does it jive with what they said? So this is part of that prep work for our piece of this investigation. And OPA has the head start on this thing, and they've done their work. Um, whether or not it's done properly remains to be seen. That's why we need the entire case file to be able to respond properly to media requests and to properly vet the information and prepare a member for their labor uh, constitutionally protected hearings. So that's another piece of it that's, that's troubling. So, yeah, that photo exists. I cannot comment on whether or not it captures what could be interpreted as people engaging in the insurrection we're going to have to wait for the chief of police to opine on the final discipline decision after the Laudermill, and then we'll wait whether or not these two officers who are being recommended for termination, whether or not they want to pursue a discipline appeal. So that's why I can't comment on it. And if I did in this interview, 
I would be derelict in my duties as the head of the union and going outside the scope of what the process is. And I hope people can understand it. But we'll go into that in the next piece. And I believe King 5 covered it because I did another interview with King 5 and the reporter's Chris Danielson. And uh, we'll go from there. Roll it. Yeah, Joyce, this was an investigation that included, included tracking down cell phone pings, hotel room key information, bar tabs, and countless information. It also had multiple interviews, and it concluded that these two Seattle police officers not only violated public trust, but the law. The events of January 6th are a stain on the country, and now officially Seattle police. And you believe these two officers should be fired? I believe that they should be fired. Andrew Meyerberg is the director of Seattle's Office of Police Accountability, the independent oversight office on police misconduct that released a six-month investigation and found that two Seattle police officers violated SPD policy and Washington, D.C. laws by attending the riots which followed the former president's Stop the Steal rally. And that video showed both trespassing in the immediate vicinity of the Capitol building with rioters climbing walls compelling evidence they violated dc law from that piece of evidence we were able to i think pretty definitively say from our perspective that as a law enforcement officer you knew or should have known that you were trespassing at the time that is the smoking gun exactly i mean that really was it's now up to seattle police chief adrian diaz to follow the recommendation he said previously if any spd employee participated directly in assaulting the u.s capitol i will terminate them so you've seen the photo but, i have but you 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 can't say based on what you've seen that they were at the actual riot. I'm not going to comment on that until the chief of police weighs in with his final discipline outcome. I hope he can respect that because if I did, then I would be going outside the scope of my position as the union rep. That's Seattle Police Guild President Mike Solon. Four other Seattle officers admitted to attending the former president's rally. Meyerberg says the investigation did not exonerate nor conclude a third officer committed a violation, but three other off-duty cops were cleared of any wrong doing. And we found again that attending the rally without more, without illegal conduct, was absolutely protected by the First Amendment. Solon and the Guild have fought vigorously in court to withhold the names of those officers from the public. It is why OPA nor SPD today release those names. Solon says that by doing so, it would violate their due process. That is the story live in Seattle. Chris Daniels, King 5 News. I got a lot of respect for Chris Daniels. He's done a lot of work. I said Danielson earlier, so my bad. Um, but yeah, I can't, again, I can't comment on that that photo um, for obvious reasons. I mean, you have to respect dues-paying members to the union. And you can't just come out without having all the facts uh, and either support or throw them under the bus, you have to have the process work out. So Chris remarks that Solon says releasing their names would violate their due process rights. Well, absolutely, because it must be protected. We are here as a union to make sure that the process is protected. And like I mentioned earlier, it puts us in a bad spot sometimes because people want the immediate information and then make a quick decision. That's why headlines always have remarks and people's minds are made up immediately. So we 
have to play behind the scenes to a degree until we have all the information. As I mentioned earlier, we don't have the entire case file. There are glaring, gaping holes in that thing. Why don't we have it? Curious as to why that is. And so it leads me to another piece. And it, 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 you look at some of the vast, the different ways that some of the media plays the narrative that they're putting out there, and then they insert whatever comments they get on record for you to fit that push. And it's all about how your inflection, your inflection in your voice and stunning discoveries, violated community trust. You know, they're take, almost taking a position um, outside of being objective, if you will, if you read into it and just watch the headlines or just listen to their voices. I'm not throwing shade at the reporters. I'm just trying to give you a, a window into how I interpret these and maybe other people can start seeing, become critical thinkers to like, okay, there's other things that occurred in this thing outside of what we're being told to think. But I'll digress and go into Cairo's piece um, and they interviewed me today with Graham Johnson. He's a good fella as well. Um, and I got a lot of respect for, for local media. I truly do. Um, but of course, I've always mentioned that that uh, I've had some criticisms of local media. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. So I'll pull up yesterday's Cairo piece with a reporter. Um, and right now, immediately... The headline, Seattle Police Union pushes back on insurrection investigation. Okay, I'm just curious as to what pushback we've done with the investigation right off the bat with that headline because the only pushback we've done is what the city has done. We we believe are a violation of uh, their constitutional rights and discriminating against them, which is a violation of our contract and city charter. So right off the bat. But here we go. We'll listen to this. Six Seattle police officers who were in Washington, D.C. during the January 6th insurrection has come to an end, and those findings will be released tomorrow. But tonight, we're learning the Seattle Police Union tried to limit that investigation. Now, before Elle Thomas went to the scene at Factoria Mall, she looked into the objections from the police union and the, and the effects they could have on future investigations. January 6, 2021, forever known as the day a rally in support of former President Donald Trump turned into an attack on the United States Capitol. Among the thousands in attendance, six Seattle police officers. The question, were the officers simply exercising their freedom of speech by attending the rally? Or were they involved in the illegal act of storming our nation's capital? Six months ago, the Office of Police Accountability started an investigation to find out. Come tomorrow, the public will receive long-awaited answers. But tonight, we're learning the union that represents Seattle police personnel tried to limit that investigation. In late May, they filed this grievance against the city, claiming OPA's request for personal items like receipts, itineraries, texts, and pictures violated the non-discrimination clause in the union's contract with the city. Therefore, it shouldn't be used. The union is arguing that these are things that this office have, has not demanded in the past and that they were only demanding them because these officers uh, were fans of former President Donald Trump. 
David Croman, a reporter with local publication Crosscut, was the first to catch wind of the filing. Did it surprise you when you saw that grievance was filed? No, I, I wouldn't say that it surprised me. I think it's fair to say that uh, they have been very protective of these six officers. Back in February, the union took legal action to block the officers' names from being shared with the public. A judge ultimately denied the request. A few months later, the grievance. Basically making the argument that the, the things that the Office of Police Accountability wanted to see should be off limits to them. Given the short 180-day investigation timeline, which expired Monday, the grievance will likely have little impact on this case, but it could be trouble in the future. There's sort of a larger story around this grievance, too, which is that if this, it's still outstanding, and if it were to go to an arbitrator and an arbitrator were to rule in favor of the union, that would limit what this office could demand in future uh, investigations. In Seattle, L. Thomas, Terra 7 News. So there it is right there. It shows you the difference in reporting from different networks or local affiliates. Um, and that piece was from yesterday. And I'm sorry, um, I believe the reporter's name is L. Thomas. Ellie, I don't know how to pronounce it. My, my bad. I don't mean to be disrespectful. Um, but I think if you read the piece, they looked for a comment from us and I don't recall any kind of email or inquiry to, for us to provide comment. I try to comment as much as I can um, with these media stories. But, you know, they highlight a fella named David Croman who writes for uh, a blog, uh, Crosscut. And um, David has asked, you know, asked me yesterday for comment, and I declined because the details hadn't been released yet. Remember that embargo I spoke with earlier that was going to be released at 2 o'clock today, meaning the case file? I'm not going to get ahead of it and usurp the working relationships I have with the accountability partners and the department. Not going to happen. But David, you know, I find it interesting. And then this piece in particular from Cairo, interesting that they say that we limited the scope of the investigation. Okay. When I remarked earlier, I said, well, how did we do that? Number one, we absolutely did, and let me tell you why. I said earlier, we have no problem with, with investigations. We have nothing to hide. We're public servants. We work for you. However, we have a role in this. We have to make sure that the due process afforded to police officers, particularly this union, are watched over 100% of the time. And so what OPA did, and we'll break this down, and here is my grievance right here that I authored and sent to the City of Seattle Labor Relations on June 9th of 2021. It's titled SPA Grievance, and I'm not going to get into the number. We had these numbers. We rank grievances. Um, it's related to the unlawful order slash discrimination grievance regarding this investigation. And so what is that unlawful order? What is this grievance, this discrimination grievance? So it's two-part. In mid to late May, OPA sent us a follow-up email, basically telling, requesting, I'll back that up, requesting that the six D.C. officers provide personal documents, and I'll break it down. Six requests. 
Any and all receipts dated on or about January 6, 2021, establishing your location on the date, including but not limited to receipts from any restaurants, bars, or taverns, or other businesses at which you were a customer. Number two, any and all receipts, itineraries, including to and from flight records or other records dated on or about January 6, 2021, establishing the hotel at which you stayed in Washington, D.C. area, and the airlines flown, including emails contain the above information. Number three, any and all text messages sent or received by you on January 6, 2021, including but not limited to text message records held by yourself, friends, or family members, which would establish your whereabouts or activities on January 6, 2021. Number four, any and all photographs taken on January 6, 2021 in the Washington, D.C. area. Number five, any and all bank records showing financial transactions that occurred in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021. Number six, in the event that any of the above records have been deleted, please attempt to provide a record of the deletion and a statement of reasons for the deletion. So absolutely we push back against that because that was initially a request which we attempted and did eventually get clarification from OPA on whether or not that request was indeed an order. There's a big difference there. If you request, you're asking somebody to voluntarily give up their personally protected information. If you order somebody, in particular a police officer, under the threat of termination and insubordination, if you do not comply with that order, you could lose your job. Big, big difference. Also a big difference with labor union issues. Mind you, these officers have already voluntarily given up because they have to. Any department communication devices, such as their cell phones or any email communication on their .gov official email strings, right? Because it's public record, as it should be. But what this order was, the six points that I highlighted that we grieved, those were for their personal cell phones and their personal data, any information. We're talking about private text messages. We're talking about private photographs between their loved ones, their spouses. I mean, who knows what could be on those things? Imagine, just take yourself outside the role of a government employee and just put it online with you as a private citizen working for some said A employer. Can you imagine your employer ordering you with the threat of termination to provide your personal text messages, photographs between you and your loved ones, your financial private documents for some type of internal employee investigation. Can you imagine operating under that type of environment? If you can, then I don't see how you can be a supportive uh, individual in the United States of America that adheres to your privacy your Bill of Rights. So absolutely, we limited the scope to the best we can contractually, labor-wise. What we feel is that order from OPA is absolutely unlawful. It violates the United States Constitution. It violates the Washington State Constitution. It violates the City of Seattle City Charter. It violates the Seattle Police Department 
policy manual, and it also violates the Seattle Police Officers Guild and the City of Seattle collective bargaining agreement. For the life of me, I can't understand why some reporter thinks it's okay, at least what he's referring to in this piece, that the government coming after your private records for an investigation is okay. Well, number one, just because we're police officers doesn't give us the ability or doesn't give you the ability, whether you're a government employee or you're a private citizen, to think it's okay to violate our constitutionally protected rights. We have due process. Swearing to that oath of service doesn't say, okay, you can have all the information about me in my personal life. Here you go for the performance of my duties. I'm sorry. doesn't happen that way. This is still, still the United States of America. And the biggest proponent of supporting that constitution are police officers. Don't for a second think that we automatically give up our fundamental bill of rights for just swearing to that oath of service. That's why we have the union to protect us. And this is why we filed this grievance. This is the only thing we've done publicly with this case in six months. It's absolutely the right thing to do. And if you're a believer of the Constitution and you respect due process, then thank you for your support. If you're somebody that is throwing shade at us for standing up for the Constitution and the people we represent, then are you a true supporter of the Constitution? I think you should really look at yourself. So that's where we are. Now, I talked about leaks earlier. There's another publication that I rarely read. Not sure how many people do. And I talk about the leaks within the city in terms of this investigation, how the officers' names, albeit we were successful to a degree in court, still in the Washington State Court of Appeals. Cities milling about whether or not they're going to release their names. Can't do it if they don't have a sustained complaint. So inside the city, the leaks are still coming. And in terms of this latest piece from this publication, if you call it that, um, they got some inside information. I wonder where that's coming from. Well, it's only coming from people that are in the know. And who are in the know? People that are in the accountability wing of the department or people that have hands-on view of the case file. Mind you, it was just released today at 2 o'clock, just the closed case summary. It's not the case file. The closed case summary doesn't highlight what this piece highlights. And I'll just read this very briefly because I don't want to give any attention to this outfit but I'm going to have to name them because I'm naming their piece. It's Publicola. And they routinely ask for comment. I completely give them the Heisman because I don't think that they do an objective, what would you call it? Reporting. If you want to call it reporting. Call it activism. Here we go. To track the movements of the six officers, OPA investigators relied on a variety of sources, including hotel records, live stream footage from the attack, the office turned over pictures of each officer and their phone numbers to the FBI, which was conducting a search for any rioters who entered the Capitol building during the course of the attack. That's absolutely accurate. Yeah. 
Ultimately, the OPA could not only determine their whereabouts, five of the officers during the riots. Did I read that right? Ultimately, the OPA could only determine their whereabouts, five of the officers during the riot. Doesn't seem like a properly grammatically positioned sentence. Let's work on that. The sixth officer denies that he trespassed on Capitol grounds through neither the OPA nor the FBI could corroborate his claim. He would not face discipline, though investigators didn't rule out the possibility that he trespassed on federal property. Investigators confirmed that three of the officers left the rally before the crowd began its march towards the Capitol building. A source with the background knowledge on the case told Public Cola on Wednesday. Well, today's Thursday. There was an embargo on any of the information getting out there. So the leaks exist. Why would I dare participate in some type of publication that doesn't adhere to the responsibilities of the process? And anybody that participated in violating the process, in my eyes, cannot be trusted, and they should be held accountable. I'll continue with this paragraph. And I'll back up to that initial sentence. A source with background knowledge on the case told Publicola on Wednesday that those that two of those officers spent part of the day with former SPD officer Adley Shepard, whose 2016 termination for punching a woman during arrest developed into a protracted legal battle that ended in April when a Washington State Court of Appeals judge upheld Shepard's firing. Hold the Line with Mike Solon is sponsored by StopDefunding.com. The senseless trend of defunding police departments must be stopped. Over 200,000 reasonable citizens have already signed our petition, and we need your help. Visit StopDefunding.com and add your signature to help us protect public safety. Now more than ever, our voices must be heard. Speak up at StopDefunding.com. There it is. So why is that information out there? Who knew of that information and who released it Wednesday? Well, I can tell you, it's people that were in control of that case. Like I said, this case has had interesting twists and turns from the beginning. We have a case file that is completely incomplete, glaring holes in it. Why is that the case? Don't know. The officer's names have been doxed. There's a leak somewhere. There's active internal investigation complaints or EEO complaints, I should say, relative to that investigation of who leaked their names. Um, it's a problem. If you're to be trusted with doing a thorough investigation and respecting due process, well, you ought to respect everybody involved. And for us to be a, have accountability buy-in from the community and the people that are involved in it, such as us and the accountability partners, the civilian apparatus within the accountability process, then why are you releasing information like this? Why are you leaking it? Doesn't really give that warm blanket of trust that the process is fair, that due process is to be respected. Another avenue of that is, as far as the process not being respected, due process, is just two days after this investigation was launched, the chief of police publicly said in media that he would fire anybody that was involved in the insurrection. Okay? But we must say 
that we still adhere to due process and waiting for the investigation to play itself out. And I give the department credit today, as in their blotter, which they released just after 2 o'clock, after the deadline, SPD statement regarding OPA's completed investigation of officers in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021, from Public Affairs. July 8, 2021, 2.03 in the afternoon. The Seattle Police Department has received the Office of Police Accountability's completed investigation to complaints brought against six SPD officers who were determined to be in Washington, D.C. during the insurrection on the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Chief Adrian Diaz has been clear that he will hold accountable any SPD officer involved in the insurrection, including disciplinary action up to including termination. Due process for public personnel who hold a property interest in their employment is governed by both state and federal law. For transparency of process, the chart below sets forth the steps required to ensure that disciplinary action imposed is legal and binding. I'll go through the chart in just a second. I'm almost done. While we hear a call for swifter action, the consequences, as we have seen around the country, of undercutting due process serve only to undermine accountability. In accordance with the steps set forth above to ensure due process, Chief Diaz intends to issue disciplinary decision within the next 30 days. And that's the end of their statement. I will go through their OPA flowchart. Appreciative of them linking this in here. Number one, they break it down on how this process unfolds. Incident occurs. There's a complaint filed with OPA. The investigation to be completed with 180 days. Investigation complete with proposed discipline, which we saw today. Loudermill hearing, which is the constitutionally protected labor right backed by the United States Supreme Court for the public sector employee to face their disciplinarian, who in our circumstances would be the chief of police. After the Laudermill hearing, the chief makes the, his or her final decision. The officer has their ability to grieve that decision, if any. And then if that grievance is properly approved by whatever entity that approves appeal requests, such as for our position... Public Safety Civil Service Commission or the Seattle Police Officers Guild Board of Directors, yay or nay on an arbitration decision, and then sometime years later, especially in termination cases, we eventually get in front of an arbitrator for their decision. So that's how it kind of works. So this thing has been a mess from the jump. I get it. We're all for accountability. This insurrection event January 6th is just a horrific event uh, stain on our history no one should use political actions criminality to put forth a political message it's horrific but I also want to say this too and I'm not equating the both or b- both because I think one is obviously historically impactful, but we also had some type of insurrection here in the city of Seattle. We lost an East Precinct. We lost six square blocks of a major urban city where police couldn't go in. We had two deaths, five shootings, multiple crimes occurred. All I saw was accountability for the police officers who were trying to control the riot mob. Where's the accountability for the people that committed crimes in those riots? The people that hurt hundreds of police officers. 
I really haven't seen it. A handful here and there. We saw officers almost burned alive. We saw an officer get hit in the head, back of the head with a baseball bat. Crazy stuff has happened the past year of 2020 and now 2021. I don't know if saying one is bigger than the other. I think we both need to, both of them need to have a conversation and just a amount of, of, of an equal look at the accountability process for everybody involved. Yes, the DC insurrection was historically the biggest story, I think, probably in my lifetime, to a degree. But since I have such a, of, of a, what would you say? A piece of this within me as far as my personal experiences, the East Precinct issues in terms of the race riots when our mayor and our president of the council a year ago, just days before George Floyd occurred, said we're the modeled reformed agency. So that's relevant and needs to be spoken of and I am have the courage to speak about it. And I'm not appeasing anything that people did or or not saying it's not serious. DC was an absolutely horrific event. And if the chief weighs in with those two and thinks that they need to be terminated, well, then we have to wait for their appeal if they're going to appeal. And then the SPOG board of directors, I'll lay it out to you the process. Kind of did with that little check mark from OPA that and send the blotter. And we'll link it here as well. Um, If the chief makes a final determination that those two need to be terminated, and here's the process. Those two have two methods of an appeal process. Public Safety Civil Service Commission, which is comprised of three commissioners. Two are appointed by the city, one by the city council, one by the mayor's office, and then one elected by public safety unions, SPOG members, and Local 27, which is SFD's, Seattle Fire Department's union. That's that piece of it. Now, these officers will have 10 days to get their appeal request into the Public Safety Civil Service Commission to meet the contractual obligation. The second entity, if they want to go down this route, is to appeal to the Seattle Police Officers Guild Board of Directors, their discipline committee. The discipline committee will hear their appeal, look at all the facts, make sure that the case file that I've been complaining about, that it's not completely accurate in terms of having all the information, glaring, gaping holes, they look at this case file and determine whether or not the officer's actions are indeed need of an appeal. That entity, which is elected by the 1,300 members of the Seattle Police Officers Guild, now around 1,100, thanks to the defunding nonsense, um, that entity determines whether or not their appeal should be granted. And so we'll see what comes of it. I can't take a position right now because I don't have the entire case file. That's not me dodging it. But absolutely, as a police officer and as a union, we're absolutely adherent to public trust, community trust. We serve you. We love serving you. That's why we love this job. I love this city. And anybody that says we're obstructionist to accountability isn't really paying attention and uh, aren't really interested in a reasonable conversation and listening to this podcast and hearing my comments. This is why I started this thing too. It's like, hey, we need our narrative out there. Truth and fact is what I deal with. I'm going to give it to you straight. So let me know. You can reach out to me at uh, 
hold the line with Mike Solon. Put the link in the description. And uh, please like and subscribe. Uh, this issue, I mean, this case is not over yet uh, by a long shot. It's going to be a lot of uh, controversy around it, as there already is. And uh, tell your friends about this podcast, spread the message, and we're just trying to get a message out there that tells it like it is, our story, outside of some of the activist, how would you say, uh, spin, and some of the media stories that are around developing a narrative. Um, So that's where we are. And obviously, if any officer took part in hurting or witnessing other fellow law enforcement officers get injured, um, that's a problem. And hopefully we get the full case file and we'll make a determination down the road. But we love being coppers. We love this city. And more importantly, I just love telling you how it is and having our peace. So... Stay tuned for more podcasts. Thanks, everybody, and we'll still hold the line.